Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 101. Whoop. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about three questions you should ask every time you show up to church. And I'm Todd, and I'm going to talk about a great way to combat consumerism is to think of church more like a battleship, not a cruise ship. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Pastor Todd, thanks for being on. Oh man, you're so welcome. And how cool to talk about triple digits now. Mm-hmm. You know, this is legit. Yes. Next level. 101 Dalmatians. We're going to go 101 takeaways today. Oh, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know if I came prepared for that, <laughs> but that's great. It's a great it's, idea. It's going to be great. We'll, we'll come up with it. We won't leave the studio until we come up with 101 takeaways. I, had I known that, I might have said, maybe you get someone else today. Yeah. I don't know if I have that kind yeah. of brain power. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ready. <laughs> um, no, this has been such a good series getting to wrap up. Uh, here in our one another's and we've still got I think a great response service to really just I think react to what God has done in our lives as a church over this last season and I know Rooted's not quite over but that's wrapping up as well and so it just kind of feels like a good time of kind of culmination of a lot of the things that God's been doing in us to really deepen us as a community as a church in our more intimate settings with one another not the um, we'll get to kind of manifest it, I think, on the weekend together, which mm. will be fun in that big corporate gathering. But really, these more intimate connections we've been making in groups and stuff like that, I think it's just a, a cool way to express that and get to kind of process that out. So, yeah. no, and I was really grateful. I was actually talking to one of our pastors, uh, maybe back in the spring, about what kind of series, you know, for this time. And I loved his, his thought was, Let's do a series that is kind of like the outcomes of group of growth groups. Yeah. What, what is supposed to be happening in these smaller environments rather than necessarily all the mechanisms to get there, which kind of rooted helps with. So I thought it's just been, a, like you said, a great tandem series with so many people going through rooted right now and really developing that sense. And that's what I love about these one another's. They're not suggestions. They're literally like a almost like a litmus test. Am I living in relationships where I can demonstrate these to people? Hmm. Am I in a place where I need to forgive someone? Like, am I close enough that we're doing life and bearing each other's burdens? Like, I can't do that just showing up to a weekend worship service. Yeah. That's an ongoing community kind of one another. Yeah, totally. And I think this idea of serving one another so core to what we do at church and a place that we honestly on the weekend live that out a ton. That's you true. Know? That is one, that of, is one of those places mm-hmm. that we really apply that. Obviously we do it. I think it's actually shows a lot of health in your growth group when you move from just answering questions in a living room and eating good snacks and you move more into the territory of like, Hey, can I help you move this weekend? Yeah. Or you start getting into each other's lives and you do begin serving each other. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, but not totally normal out of the gates for growth groups. But we see this happen a lot, um, there at the weekend. And you talked about this weekend, spiritual gifts and how they have a purpose and they've been given to us by the Holy spirit. You even talked about a spiritual gifts assessment. Ooh. And I love that. I've taken a few. What's crazy is they're always like, there's always like 
on the assessments that I take, some of them have like different gifts than others do. Yeah, right. And yeah. so it's kind of like you're all over the place a little bit and they can be really helpful though, in just being beginning to get a direction. But I wanted to talk first, if somebody was kind of coming away from this weekend, like, okay, I'll pursue the spiritual gifts thing. Are there other things that I should be looking out for? Or are there other ways that I could discern God's gifting in my life? beyond just a test because right obviously when scripture is written paul's not like and here attached i have a spiritual gifts <laughs> test <laughs> yeah it's like no yeah. they don't have that so yeah. what are some other ways that we could kind of discern the gifting in our lives yeah well even to your first point you know it's actually uh, theologians make some really great points about from the four main passages i mentioned this weekend first corinthians 12 romans 12 um, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, in no one place is there ever an exact one-for-one, one, and these are the gifts. So that has to kind of beg the question, mm. like these were the gifts of the first century church, maybe even unique to those regions or areas. Some aren't meant, like Ephesians 4 isn't meant to be an extensive listing of the gifts, more like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 is. But either way, even the New Testament doesn't seem to say, here's the canon of gifts, like yeah. here's the list. So that you is, have one of these 12. Yeah, so yeah. it, it kind of makes sense that the different assessments we would take would reflect that too. That actually makes sense to me. It's not even like, well, then maybe there's a problem. I go, yeah. well, no, it's really consistent with Scripture. And I'm glad you asked the question because one of the things I was really rushing in my message because I wanted to give us that time to go out. And I guess it just shows I do not normally speak 35 <laughs> minutes long. because so I was like, okay, I got to keep moving. But one of the things I had in my manuscript that I didn't get to, there is a really, and I've just seen this, but I also think I'd have to think a little bit more about the biblical basis of it, but I've just seen it so practically and not only in my own life, but other people's lives. There seems to be this sense that when God, and we'll talk about shape in a minute too, but when God designs or shapes someone for serving him, which, which he does for every believer, it's as though when those gifts are put to use in a application that's a fit for those gifts, the, that people affirm that. Mm. They, they go out of their way to say, man, I just so appreciate your ability to do X or so appreciate when you were, when you or what, when you did. And, and I just think there's something about the affirmation of the body that on the one hand, I wouldn't want to say everything's about that. Yeah. Sometimes you could be serving according to your gifts and you just have people who don't vocalize anything, don't affirm things. It doesn't mean you're not gifted. Or even people don't get to see it. Yeah. It could yeah. be real behind the scenes. Um, but I, I've used it as a litmus test of my own life and those I've talked to, to say, you should look for that though, at some level, it doesn't have to be all these bouquets, but at some level, because what that helps you understand what is true of you and other believers is you all have the Holy spirit. Mm. And so in some ways we would hope that it's the Holy spirit speaking through people, affirming the giftedness that you're wondering if you have, or don't know if this is the right application of it. And that goes a long ways. You and I in both of our lives can look back and, and identify key times when somebody not only gave us an opportunity to serve, but when we did, they didn't regret it. Mm. Like they said, man, I'm so grateful you said yes to this or you stepped into this role because not only were, were we maybe a bit trepidatious to do so, but it got affirmed on the back end and we thought, okay, maybe this is a good fit. 
Yeah. And maybe this is that. And one of the main ways you knew or I knew was it got affirmed by people mm. that I didn't go searching, fishing for comments, but they came up to me or wrote to me and just said, it was great to see you serve in this capacity. Yeah. So the affirmation of God's people, I think, is a really big one. The other one is that literally, and I mentioned it, I think, only Saturday night, but and, and I don't think there's a, a, the right assessment, but I have always appreciated, because I've taken spiritual gifts inventories since I was young, but I've really appreciated the shape inventory that Saddleback developed years ago, and uh, Trinity had their own version of the same thing, but it's basically taking into account the totality. I mentioned the Spirit doesn't drop gifts into a blank context or into a random, you know, there is the totality of that person that the Spirit deeply understands, not only their present, their past, and their future, that the Spirit gives those gifts to that person, I think, with great cause and strategy. Hmm. So to me, the shape evaluation just demonstrates the context. So it always starts with spiritual gifts, so take an inventory, but then heart. What are the things you're passionate about? Because you could be gifted. Another part I had to skip in my message, the example of exhortation. Exhortation is being able to speak truth to people in a way that either heals or in a way that even convicts. But it's like, I'm gonna, I see truth in this thing you're facing. I'm going to call that out. Not necessarily like a prophet who's like in your face, but like exhorting you to step forward in obedience. Well, you think about that, that has great application in like a growth group leader, right? Yeah. Beyond the content of the, the conversation, getting to know you and kind of pushing you in righteous directions. It's also got great application as a small group leader for kids and students. It has great application to be maybe, maybe you as a couple have that gift and you minister to other couples who are just kind of struggling or stuck or whatever. Um, it just goes on and on. So that gift is best fit with the right um, passions because that same person might be kind of not really interested in working with kids, but you talk about working with other married couples, they light up. Yeah. Another person, just the opposite. I don't know, but I love kids, you know. So that heartbeat is important. Abilities, things like that, just you're good at. And you don't even necessarily like that you're good at them. I don't like that I'm good at math, but I'm okay at math. So yeah. whatever that means your personality, just the way that you tend to roll. Maybe you're a little more casual, maybe you're a little bit more intense, maybe you're a little more extroverted, introverted, whatever it is, but your personality matters in that. And then finally, your experiences that are so unique to every person. These things that have shaped you and either prepare you, I think, sometimes to be more just um, relevant to certain niche people in our culture, in our church, or something that you should almost stay away from. I've mm. had these experiences, probably not best for me to serve in, because of those in these ways, but I'm free to serve in these. Mm. So I just have found that S-H-A-P-E acrostic super helpful for just being able to understand the fuller context and simply my gifts. Yeah, and I think like I have so appreciated that some of those litmus tests that you've given me over the years and that idea of God's people affirming God's gifts, that has been huge for me in discerning things and even a, a prayer for me when I am going to do something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone and like, man, somebody's asking me or inviting me to do this thing and I don't know if I'm fit for that. Mm. 
But Lord, would you just bring some people along who would encourage me and affirm that in me if this is something you'd like me to step into and continue to do? And sure enough, there is something about the Spirit indwelling other believers that is able to call out the Spirit moving through you. There's just this discernment that's there that doesn't seem to be like exclusive to people with the gift of discernment. There's just kind of a believer level discernment of like, I have the Holy Spirit and I can see the Spirit moving and working through you in this. And I think your other point that stands out to me is just so good is like, you just can't take any one of those things and say, that's how I'm going to that's the metric I'm going to use to determine where I serve. Yeah. I can't just say, well, this is what I'm good at, but I also can't just say, this is what people affirm, but I also can't just say, this is what the spiritual gifts test said. I think it's going through the process and doing the diligence to put them together. Yeah, the totality of the package. Yeah, because you can't just separate those things out because, man, you could be super good at administrative stuff, but you hate working with kids. And so if you go to do administrative stuff for kids, you're going to be like, I hate my spiritual gift and I'm dying. And it's like, yeah, because working with kids feels like death to you. So that's, that's why it's not because you shouldn't be using this administrative gift, but you got to take the whole, you can't just like piece it apart and say, okay, well, I'm going to take one of those things and let it kind of set the trajectory of how I use my gifts. Yeah. That's a great comment. Cause I've met a lot of people who seem to do that, who do, take one of those elements of that shape concept and let that rule. And it's like when that's, and that's, that's, you know, there's, it's not all bad, but if it's definitely like not working, yeah, like this isn't actually a great fit, but because you've kind of convinced yourself, this is who I this am. Is this the is the only what option. I do. It's like, and that's the beauty too. Like you said, in a church, especially our size, there's so many different applications of so many different gifts. So it's a beautiful thing to not be so niche that, well, the only place you can use the gift of exhortation is in acts or administration or whatever. Yeah. And that's really a cool thing too, that there's so many opportunities yeah. that roll with that. And then I thought it was so good, your um, comments this weekend, I think convicting probably to all of us on different levels about consumerism in the church. And I think there's something there for each of us, no matter if you're serving or not, because we are such consumers to your point this weekend. It's everything else in our life caters to us. And we will find ourselves if we're not careful, getting frustrated when HDC doesn't cater to us. Why wasn't my checkout experience for signing my kid up for camp more convenient? Why wasn't, I mean, X, Y, and Z, right? We're just going to be as a consumer, this is bad. And obviously as a church, man, we love to give our people good stuff. We love to be effective in what we do um, and, and give the best opportunities, the best experiences. Like we want that stuff, but that is not the supreme thing that we're chasing either. And so it's kind of this tension that we live in as a staff. Um, But man, I think as a, somebody who attends a church, we all have to live in that tension of like, okay, it is so nice. And I so appreciate X, Y, and Z that HDC does, but this isn't just all about me either. And so if I've got that, if I'm running into that kind of consumerism in my life and this weekend makes me aware of it, man, how do I push back against that in my own life? And then I was thinking, you know, for me in my situation as I'm raising Hezzy and for other people, how do I raise kids in the church that aren't consumers? If they're going to grow up, man, I remember growing up and I'm watching the Disney channel and there's a 
you know, super cool ad for this thing that you can put over a balloon and it turns it into a volleyball. And it's like, I've been used to being indoctrinated with ads and like all this. And I want that. That's cool. And so that's just a normal experience of being a kid now and has been for a long time. So our kids are experiencing the same stuff that we are with everything catering to us. So how do I push back against being a consumer and how do I raise kids that aren't going to bring that kind of consumer approach to church? Yeah, that's a great question. And and by the way, even in sharing that, I wouldn't want to give the impression that I'm somehow not in the same loop. (laughs) You know I mean? I think it's almost maybe where it begins is an honesty that for the most majority of us, there may be outliers. I'm not saying that nobody, in our current culture doesn't operate primarily consumeristically. I just think the overwhelming majority of us do. And then the problem is if I don't know that, but I'm acting like it, it's almost like I need to look in the mirror. I need to, again, ask, am I wet? Yeah. <laughs> am I swimming in this world that I don't even understand the normal things I take for granted that are very much influencing me? And then if I take that same, like we said, the same posture, of a consumeristic approach and bring it to church. And it's like, why aren't you doing for me like the mall does, right? I have a problem. Uh, It was Pastor Wayne Cordero from Hawaii that I think is most famous for this great understanding of like trying to break the system. He says, you know, if you liken a church to a cruise boat, then you will get on the boat thinking, how can all these people serve me? And how can they make my experience great? Versus if you get on the boat and you understand it's a battleship, Mm. there is no one serving you on a battleship. You are all about finding your role and doing your job. Yeah. And the rest of everyone's lives depends on it. It's a big deal. And I think that whole cruise ship battleship thing is such a great reminder to the local church. And that's something I just want to keep drawing out of us. Not in, again, a guilt trip or shame. I hope none of that came through this week because I just know I don't like being, I don't like people try to motivate me that way. I don't think it's godly and it never lasts. Yeah. Because at best, we just make people feel bad for an hour. Yeah. And they go on with life. So the goal is to bring conviction. And if I'm living in a very consumer, just reality about life, good chance ours good chances I'm bringing that everywhere I go to my worship service experience to my growth group you know wherever I serve it's all those things and I appreciate what you said we're not trying to opt out either and go well well don't we, we can be less than and all these things because we you just shouldn't be a consumer I hate lines I love to try to help minimize things for people so we're not trying to say all together this is our cop-out yeah. we just don't need to be a, a good staff team because you shouldn't think of this as a consumer approach we're, we're wanting to do a great job on all those fronts but there is going to be a point a tension point of yeah we're not even actually try to meet that consumeristic drive you have because we just don't think that's, like for instance, calling people to serve. You'd never get in the mall and say, Who, who's gonna help clean up on aisle four? Because you just that's just not what people are there for. We have no problem calling people out to that in a local church because that's what God's word tells us we are to be towards each other. So I think number one, you just gotta, you gotta look in the mirror and recognize what's there. And then number two, then back to a church model, recognize you're on the battleship. We have a mission that we're after, and it's far bigger than helping people have a good weekend experience. And so the question is, do I understand my role on the ship? And secondly, am I coming with that mentality that I really want to contribute? 
Mm-hmm. I want to stop thinking about what's in it for me, even what's in it for my kids. That to me is a big thing. I'd mentioned my parents. My parents, there were some real, like every set of parents, your parents the same way, have blind spots that they missed in raising kids. But one thing my parents not only like directed us toward, but really modeled well was serving. That mm-hmm. was always a given in our family. And mind you, my parents weren't in full-time vocational ministry. Um, and they, again, just demonstrated that long before I was even on the planet. So then the natural motivation or encouragement would be back to our children was where are you going to find places to serve? And though I might have done some just help here or there, I just know consistently weekly in the seventh grade and forward, I've always had a role in a local church. And that was long before I was ever involved or even thought about being involved vocationally as a pastor. Hmm. So I go back to, and I've told this to young parents of young kids a lot, I would look back on not only that experience, but the experience that Joanna and Todd have brought into our kids that we really wanted to see it really was so helpful here too i was literally the family pastor in our first role here so we wanted to do things as a family and you guys were involved in so many small what would seemingly small things go put pens on the table go help move this food here from there i loved our family coaches got their kids involved too so we didn't just have kids just running around just being goofballs we said hey here's your role which I think not only developed more and more of a servant mentality, but also I think gave meaning and purpose. Mm. I actually get to contribute and I'm only seven, you know? There's things I can do to be helpful. And there's, by the way, there's some great staff families on our team now who do that regularly. I love watching that and I affirm it whenever I see it because I want those parents to know, I just think that's been a game changer. We didn't, Joanna and I did not, you know, kind of, uh, what would be the right word, posture ourselves or uh, purpose in our hearts to go, we want to raise uh, our kids to be involved in vocational ministry. We just wanted them to be people who love Jesus, who love others, and find a role to serve in his church. And so we felt like doing that from a very early age and helping them recognize you have a role you can play no matter where you're at in the grand scheme of things. Uh, even this weekend when we were working with Second Chance Food Bank, they had some age restrictions so the younger kids couldn't come. But a couple of our um, uh, rooted participants brought their kids. Mm. And I love that. And I love the way they just were like, you can do this. Like we can see you help and serve too. So I just think that whole, like it begins with a mentality. I have to understand I really am a consumer at heart. I've got to begin to think, how do I think more battleship-esque with the local church and then two i need to start getting my kids involved in age-appropriate ways sooner than later and not just kind of like this is my thing they watch it's like no you have a way you can contribute to yeah i think that's so huge inviting your kids in to serve with you and alongside you i know that there in the past have been even opportunities i remember doing this with mom growing up like going and serving as a as a younger kid alongside her in like a preschool classroom Mm -hmm. and getting to just be her helper in the process of her serving and that was the those kind of moments are very shaping of like man this just this is what we do this is normal and it's like in many ways the best way to not raise consumers in the church is to not be a consumer yourself Mm -hmm. and to really 
embody and exemplify that. And I think something that's been so helpful for me when it comes to consumerism and church, and I think something that maybe when you boil it down, people just aren't thinking about or aware of is like really when you get down to the purpose of church, which your battleship analogy gets to that in a lot of ways. But I think if I, if I think about it through the lens of like, why does the church exist? What's the purpose of the church? You've got the, the primary purpose being to minister to God, the secondary purpose to equip the saints, and then third, to reach the world for Christ. If you go down that list, like none of those three things have a lot to do with you. It's not about you. Like that is so inherently ingrained in church. And the first one is not about any of us. It's, it's about being preoccupied with God and bringing a smile to his face. And I would just wonder who, who the heck shows up to church and asks the question, what could I do to make God smile today? I don't know that any of us are doing that. It's like, I've got, I'm going to go get my stuff and get what I need, but nobody's thinking about, man, how can I delight in the Lord in a way that's delightful to him today? And that's what I, that's what I'm carving out my Sunday to do first and foremost is to please him. I don't think anybody's like, I don't think that's crossing anybody's mind at all. And then to say, we talk about that equip the saints. And I think many of us go to, oh, that's where I'm getting mine, right? It's your job as a pastor to give me stuff. It's like, no, it's my job to show up to church and to have eyes to say, how could I equip the brothers and sisters around me? Where could I encourage and exhort? And I could call out their gifting and I could call out the way that God's using them so that they walk out of the doors more built up and ready to go out and serve. That's not like a, I'm showing up to be equipped, which man, I sure hope I am, but that's not the purpose of that role for us in the church. It's I get to show up to help and participate in the equipping of the saints and the encouragement and calling things out. And then I leave the church with this very missional, not about me way of living my life to go reach people for Christ. I mean, that is, those are the three things and they are so incredibly selfless and humble and have nothing to do with you. And I think if you can get there and you can, I mean, this is what would be revolutionary is if we show up to church and actually ask the question, what can I do to make God smile today? What can I do to encourage the people that I'm sitting around today? And then how can I take whatever I'm hearing today and better use that to go reach people for Jesus? If you're asking those three questions at a worship service, you're going to have a really hard time walking out and being like, that second song just wasn't for me. Yeah. Right. It just wasn't my style or man, it's just, I, whenever that guy speaks, it's a miss for me, right? Like whatever the consumer comments that come out afterwards, you're gonna have a hard time saying those things if you're coming and you're asking those three questions honestly, totally. week over week. No, that's great, Jackson. I love that. What a good grid, right, to process. What am I, what am I here for? What am I, again, back to the cruise ship versus the battleship, am I being better equipped for my role in the mission. Yeah. I think about, you know, it's funny, Jesus says this statement, but it's never quoted in the Gospels. Paul quotes it actually in the book of Acts. But it's that great statement we've heard many times, but it's interesting how it is application works. It's better to give than receive. Mm. And that is what goes flies in the face of 
uh, consumerism. Consumerism says just the opposite. It is way better to receive yeah. than to give. And so if we'll get on, and this is the beautiful thing, if we'll get on Jesus's paradigm, and then begin to see the world through that lens. You could say that's very true financially. You could say that's very true in terms of like encouragement, but especially when it comes to that attitude when I come to a worship service or even the role of, of giving, because that's where I think what we've bought into, what the culture is definitely screaming, is that you will find fulfillment the more that you get Yeah. versus you will find fulfillment the more that you give. Mm. And Jesus says it clearly. And the funny thing is, it's the hardest part is convincing someone that's true. If we want to keep saying Jesus was right about everything, must have been right about that too. But the interesting thing is, once you get people to bite on the hook and to begin to invest themselves differently like that, they totally realize in the very real function of that application, that has a very true statement. It's not about what I can keep trying to accumulate for myself, whether it be spiritual experience or things at the mall, but it's actually when I come with the posture of how can I contribute mm. to you, to the, the greater picture of the local church, to my community, the people in my Oikos, if I'll keep coming at it with, it is better to give than receive. It's amazing how that, if I will keep that truth in front of my eyes, how much that changes the day in, day out. And mm. I think over not even a long, lot of time, but over even a short amount of time, we realize, again, Jesus was right about everything. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think, you know, hopefully for people who are coming away from this weekend, getting plugged into a new role or a, a serving opportunity, maybe for the first time, I'm hoping that as they step into that, one of the things that, you know, you and I were talking about that is so true when it comes to serving is it's not really ever been about the role. It's always kind of been about the way that you approach the role and the way that you serve, not really about the role that you have. I think that though there are unique ways that God has gifted and called us to vocational ministry, I, I would hope and truly believe that we would give our best to whatever role were before us serving at a local church that we were part of if we hadn't been called into ministry, right? Yeah. Because it's not about the role and it's not about either stage time or influence or whatever, but it's kind of about how you approach it. And so how do we posture ourselves as we step into serving opportunities to serve in a way that honors God and is not role focused, but really just about this opportunity to serve? Yeah. Well, yeah, it begins, I think, really with that understanding, like you said, where I serve is going to be seasonal. It's going to be based on needs. It's going to be based on opportunities, all those. That, that can change. But if I'm serving, that's the constant. Yeah. Because we realize, and again, not back to guilt trip or pressure, when we read our, our Bibles, we see that you have indeed, every believer has been indeed built to serve. So the components are all there. But like you said, just because the, the shape and the design is there doesn't mean you're actually going to put it into motion. Now, recently, there's a lot of reasons why people might not have been serving even HDC for a season. But, but I think where it all begins, I'm not saying there are recent experiences don't all, that they all reflect the same issue, but often what is in the way is even understanding ourselves as servants. Mm. Like that is, that is actually the biggest job description, the biggest title 
that I need to have. I've been processing that a lot even recently related to vocational ministry because I'm, I'm with people in different dynamics and wondering especially if pastors aren't becoming more leaders and less servants mm. because it's all about organizational strategy and all that when it goes back to, but at the end of the day, we cannot forget to be pastors. That's who we are. Mm. And a big role about being a pastor is being that person who puts himself second, serves the needs of others in front of him. So all of that's kind of in my mind right now. But I think of this passage, it's in the context of actually two of Jesus's disciples. I'm in Mark chapter 10, who want places of privilege. So that's mm. what we said yesterday. I'm, I'm craving the gifts of leadership or the entitlement of leadership because it seems to come with perks. So yeah. here's some of these followers, these apprentices of Jesus, who are saying, hey, Jesus, at the end, end of the day, I want to be on the right and my brother wants to be on the left. You know, like we want places of, you know, uh, esteem. And so Jesus concludes that time and he says, um, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Mm -hmm. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. But I love this line. And, and this is where Jesus can speak with that kind of authority. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Mm -hmm. And uniquely for him and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus could say with great power and authority, great um, demonstration of what they've already known, I'm the one who is this anointed Messiah, but even I didn't come to be waited on, Yeah, didn't come to walk with all the big pomp and circumstance and everybody look at me. I've come to serve you yeah. and to serve the people that we've been ministering to by this time for the last three years. So I think if I will see that, and he was saying that very directly, if I've done that, then so should you as my apprentice. How true is that for us today? Yeah. I did not come to be served, but to serve. So I think it really has to begin with that heart of God, the essence of being a follower of Jesus begins with being a servant to mm. other people. And man, talk about a, a topic that doesn't get brought up a lot in church environments today. Um, I'd rather not talk much about how much we're called to serve each other. I would just like to talk about all these other things that seem really important to me, but it's like all these other things come second. Mm. One of the first basic things is the posture of a servant. Mm. And I think it's so our like Western mindset that we are just, we see corporate ladders everywhere. And so we're just kind of trying to climb the mm. food chain. And we do that in a, a volunteer role. Man, I want to get to the top of this role, whatever that looks like. We do that in ministry roles and jobs. Um, we bring that into so many things. And I think the assumption and the way that our culture works is that it is roles that satisfy us. Mm. It is titles or the perks that come with them that are that bring satisfaction. When you got to go back to the beginning and God sets up work when everything is good, but he gives Adam the role of being a gardener, which is like no offense to anybody who gardens <laughs> by all accounts, a pretty lame job, you know, and not one that many of us would be like me, 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 you know, or see a lot of perks to or whatever. And that was because 
when everything was good, and I believe very still true today, though our sin-stained world all around us, the satisfaction that was present for Adam in this environment of human flourishing was to have a task, to have a role, to give his best to. And it wasn't about what the role was. It was about his diligence in giving his best to it and in being fully self-sacrificial in doing it. And I think in that full giving of ourselves, that's where we find true satisfaction. It's not in the compensation. It's not in the title. It's not in how many people do I get to oversee. Whatever that thing is that drives us that says, oh, if I get this role, then I will really be fulfilled. It's never been that. It's always been about giving our best. And that's been from the beginning of time that it's yeah. been that way. Yeah. No, that's good. And I, it isn't it powerful to realize really two main things. It's so important to remind ourselves role and contri- contribution and service was pre-fall. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not the result yep. of sin. And so with that come really, I think, two big ideas. One is that God has called us into a relationship with him that includes us being contributors. Yeah. God doesn't need us. Yep. He can manage the garden much better than it's we It's for our could, benefit. But we get this opportunity. And so it's this really fascinating thing. And again, not back to, you know, perks and um, compensation and title, but I do have a sense of meaning, yeah. a purpose, you know, and that's the beauty. You can strip away the title and the perks and the compensation and you can still serve in a meaningful way with purpose and meaning. So that's a cool thing like that. That's irregardless of these. And yeah. these usually get in the way of that. Yeah. But then the other thing is, from the very beginning, not as a result of sin, there was a role that not just was one of contribution, but of effort. Mm. The garden didn't manage itself. You know, there were things to do. And so within that, there is that, because I think that there's also a reality that more and more that we become... Um, sedentary people who do a lot of work off of a computer screen. It's just, I just know for Todd, it's become easier to be lazy Mm. than it was before when there were things that just required get up and go do this. And so there's just a, a cautionary thing within that to recognize effort has been involved, even a physical effort. And everyone's job isn't to the same degree of physicality, but it doesn't mean again, that I'm not willing to go and get dirty and to go and serve and sweat a bit to meet the needs of other people. Yeah. Even if that's not my normal day job, that doesn't preclude me from serving in those ways as well. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I think if we will lean into that posture of, I wanna give my best, I wanna sacrifice, I think we'll find so much more satisfaction than the things that we've been chasing of recognition and honor and title and leadership and things like that. I think we'll find so much more satisfaction in how can I give of myself for others and how can I give my very best to the thing that I'm doing? I think that's the great irony, right? As people wait for the role that they want to give their best to, they end up phoning it in at the thing that they're doing currently, which makes it all the more unlikely that they will ever attain the role that they aspire to. It's like great, you know, I love we've used that axiom here at HCC for a long time, faithful with little, faithful with much yeah and so often you're right people will not be faithful with the little but want the much yeah and, and say like, well then i'll be faithful then then i'll show up yeah it's like no you show up where you are today watch god honor that and open doors for the future totally
No, thank you. Thanks for your time and your insight. I appreciate it. Love it. It's a great conversation. I don't know how close we got to 101 takeaways, but <laughs> people are probably feeling yeah. like it's been a, a lot. 101 minutes or something here. They know that. Uh, no, that's all we have for this week of Tangible Takeaways. Thank you so much for tuning in and being with us. I uh, hope that you've enjoyed it. And as always, don't forget to leave a comment there, maybe giving us a takeaway that you're taking away from Pastor Todd's message this week. Don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell so that you get notifications about future videos as well. And don't forget to give us a like too. It goes a long way. Um, but that's all we have for this week. We'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways.